Let's pray together. Father, we thank you um, just for your presence here today. We thank you, Lord, um, for your Holy Spirit that you've given us, um, dwells in our hearts, it dwells in your church. We ask that as we open the word, Lord, your, your spirit would speak to us, that you'd give us ears to hear what you're saying to each one of us individually. We thank you that uh, your eye is upon us, you care for us, you love us, and you want to minister your word to us today, and I thank you that you will do that. We pray these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Um, Open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 again. We're going to continue our discussion on faith uh, that we began recently. And we saw so far that faith... That the object of our faith is really the most important thing about faith. It's not the faith itself. It's uh, having faith in the right thing or the right person. Someone can be sincere, but as they say, sincerely wrong. Right? There are people that have a lot of faith. Unfortunately, it's misplaced. It's in the wrong thing, the wrong person, the wrong God, if you will. So, the object of our faith... is the most important aspect of our faith, really. And so we talked about the fact that when we were talking about the topic of faith, what what we have to understand is we're really talking about God. Because God is the object of our faith. And we talked last week about the fact that um, when when we believe in God, we must believe in His ability. That He has the ability to bring to pass that which His Word says or that which He has promised. And then we also talked about um, God's veracity. That is to say that His Word is true. Now, you notice that already in two minutes, when I've talked about God, I've, I've talked about His Word and His promise. And the reason is, we cannot know God apart from His Word. We cannot really believe in in the biblical sense apart from His Word. Because His Word is God's revelation. His Word is the, the, um, the means by which we know who God is. The Word is the means by which we know what God has promised us. You see? And so, when we talk about believing in God, we're really also talking about believing in His Word because those things are inseparable. He has chosen to reveal Himself to us through His Word. And He always has. He has always done that. From the very beginning, when God created Adam in the garden, He gave him a Word. Right? He said, eat this tree, things will go well. Eat this tree, things aren't going to go good for you. Adam had a Word. From God. Of course, we know he disobeyed that word. In other words, he didn't believe what God had said. Right? So, our relationship to God is always governed by God's revelation of himself and of his will. And we know his revelation through his word, that which we have spoken. So, we can't separate our faith in God and our, and our faith in his word. So, <clears throat> we talked about God's ability And we talk about God's veracity. Veracity is a big word for what? True. That God is true. Exactly. So, if God were a liar, well, it would be hard to trust His word, right? Right? Um, 
So we must believe that God is true. But there's a couple other things we have to believe in order to walk in real faith. And uh, the third thing I want to talk about today is we must believe that God is faithful. Now, this is related to his veracity, but it's, it's more so than, than that. Um, when we talk about God being faithful, we're assuming that God is true. We're assuming that. But we're also assuming that God doesn't change. Because God could say something in one situation and it'd be true. And then God could, eh, I'm going to change my mind. Right? Well, that's not, in other words, I, I don't, I don't, that's not true anymore. Or I changed my mind. I promised that then, but I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to do something different now. Well, so when we talk about God being faithful, we mean that God is both true and God is immutable. He doesn't change. Um, go to, did I say Hebrews 11? Yes. Okay. Look at Hebrews 11. We talked last week about Abraham a lot from Romans 4. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Abraham and Sarah today. Hebrews 11 is a series of examples of men and women who believed God. And it says in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he could, excuse me, he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, uh, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, to be called their God. Isn't that an awesome passage? Man, that just really hit me. I was meditating on the word. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Their faith was such that it brought so much honor to God that he, he wasn't ashamed of them. Yeah, I'm their God. It's me. That is amazing. For he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed will be called, concluding, in other words, how is it that he could offer him up? concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Meaning meaning that Isaac was a type, a figure, of course, of Christ, right? Who died and was, it was risen again. Abraham is really a type of the father who gives his son for the life of the world. So in, in this passage, we see illustrated, uh, first of all, that Abraham 
believed that God was able. It says here in verse 19 that he was he was able to offer up his son who was the heir of the promise because he believed God was able to raise him from the dead. You know, as I tried to portray last week, and it's very difficult to do this, when you read the, the scripture, it's kind of like, I was watching a movie the other night, and I won't tell you what movie, because you'll probably judge me. So I just, say I, I just say I was watching a movie, and and there was, there's a lot of suspense in the movie, okay? A lot of drama going on in the movie. And as I was watching the movie, I realized how bored I was. And I thought, I'm bored because I know the end of the story. And I remembered back when I saw the movie the first time, how gripping it was. I was, I was gripped. I was like, ah, I was, are they going to live? Are they going to die? Is he going to live? Or is she going to live? What's going to happen? And I was into it, you know, into it. And this time I was like, eh, eh, reading a book. Look at that. Because I knew the end of the story. And you see, we often do that with the Bible. We read it in such a way that it, we, it doesn't have any drama for us. Why? Because we know the end of the story, right? But you have to put yourself, you have to, you have to slow down and think and put yourself in the place of the people that God is dealing with. So you think about Abraham and the story of offering up Isaac, right? Well, we know, we know that Isaac didn't die, so we read it like, yeah, he offered up Isaac, you know, didn't. But Abraham didn't know that. And so when God told him to offer up his son, you, you I mean, can you imagine the, the, uh, the trial that this was for him? Because remember, for 25 years, he waited for God to fulfill the promise of giving him an heir. For 25 years, God appeared to him when he was 75, and Isaac was born when he was 100. For 25 years, he waited. Can you believe that? Well, that's faith, right? You think you think that, that Isaac would be born and God say, okay, you, you have faith. We don't need to refine your faith anymore. You're done. Well, he wasn't done. There was still another test. There was another uh, education in faith, if you will, for Abraham. So, so God makes Abraham a promise, not only that he'll have a son, but that this son, this particular son, is going to be the heir. This particular son will be the one through whom you become the father of many nations. This particular son will be the one through whom Messiah comes. It's a pretty awesome promise, right? This is why this is why it says in Romans that, that Abraham's faith was such that he didn't stagger at the promise of God, even though the promise was so overwhelming. The 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 magnitude of, of the promise, ironically, although God's promises ought to inspire faith, the magnitude of the promise was was almost a stumbling block. So this son. God says, okay, now take this son and offer him up. And it, 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 if we could only, for a moment, get inside Abraham's head to realize what a trial that was for him to, 
say, okay, let me see. God promised that this son was going to be the seed. God promised that this son was going to be the one through whom Messiah comes. Yet God is telling me to, to offer this son up. How do, these, how do these two things fit together? How can that be? Seems like a contradiction on the surface, right? But faith said, well, I guess God's going to raise him up. Because faith was the only answer to the, quote, contradiction. He believed God was able to raise him from the dead. So, when we believe God, we must believe that God is able to do that which he says he can do. And sometimes, the promises of God look like they're not, they're, what should I say, um, impossible, maybe? Impossible? Well, I think Abraham's situation was impossible, right? But of course, we know that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Why? Because God has absolute power. He can bring to pass. Are you listening? Say yes. Everybody say yes. Yes. Everybody. All right. God is able to bring to pass whatsoever he wills. Whatsoever he wills. There is, there's nothing that can stop God when God chooses to act. Nothing. Because he has absolute power. That's his ability. And it says here that Abraham believed that God was able. But now I want to look at Sarah. Look at Sarah. In verse 11 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And my version says, and she bore a child, and that phrase might not be in your version because you're using a different version. To conceive seed when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. So when Abraham is spoken of, the emphasis seems to be on God's ability. He believed God was able. When Sarah's mentioned, it's not simply that God was able, but that God was faithful. In other words, because God had spoken it, it would come to pass. We have to understand that if God is true, and He cannot err, if God is immutable and He cannot change, when He speaks, His word is true. It must be truth by His very nature. Do you understand what I'm saying? It cannot be false. Therefore, his word is faithful because he is faithful. When a being, God, is true and immutable, when he acts, then his ways are true. And when he speaks, then his word is true. And God both acts and he speaks in faithfulness. Faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to his word. God is always consistent with His Word. 
right? The evidence for this is is uh, just overwhelming in Scripture. But the important point for us to understand is, first of all, that God fulfills His Word. Look, we're going to come back here to Hebrews probably. Look at Psalm 119 for a moment. Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, David says in uh, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Now, David talks about the word, then he talks about nature. And we see this in Psalm 19 also, right? talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. Then he says that the word of God is perfect, converting the soul. Because he sees in nature a, a, a image of certain things about God and about his word. And one of the things that he sees is God's faithfulness. The sun rises every morning. The planets stay in their, in their particular orbs, if you will, right? Everything is stable in that sense. So he's saying, Lord, just as the heavens are stable, your word is stable. It is settled. And he says that his word is settled forever. It's settled forever. 92, unless your law, meaning his word, had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for thy, by them you have given me life. Isn't that good? Verse 96, I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then he goes on and he just praises, praises God's word. So God's word is is forever settled. Why? Because God is faithful to his word. If he says he will do something, then he will do it. Whether it is it is a promise or whether it is a warning. He will do what he says he will do. Um, God fulfills his promises. Look at Numbers 23. Can you find Numbers? Numbers 23. Verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? That is to say, if God has spoken a word, he will bring it to pass. And if he doesn't bring it to pass, then that would mean God is not true. God is not faithful. God is a liar, right? So when God makes a promise in his word, he will fulfill the promise. Notice I said that he might. I said that he will. He must do so because he is true and he cannot lie. Now, we do have to understand, of course, when we talk about the promises of God, that there are two kinds. There are two kinds. There are, there are conditional and there are unconditional. The conditional promises usually have an if clause in them. In other words, if you do this, I will do that. Or if this, then that. Right? There's maybe certain conditions that have to be fulfilled. Some promises are unconditional. God says, I will do this, and whether you like it or not. And we see, we see many of those in Scripture too. God says, I'm going to um, bring such and such to pass regarding my people, 
And he does. And it's not conditional. It's because he has determined to do it, regardless of, of the human response. And we can give many, many examples of uh, God fulfilling his promises in Scripture. I mean, it's just full of examples. When you, we already talked about Abraham and Sarah. You think, you think about the original promise to Eve. I mean, Eve has, has children, her sons fight. Uh, there's murder, bloodshed in, in the family. I mean, it's a terrible, ter- tragic story. And then God comes to her and he says, you're going to have another child. And this child is going to be, he gives her a promise of the gospel is what he does. Through your seed. Your seed will bruise the head of the serpent, right? That was a promise of the gospel. He gave that promise a long time ago, right? Long time ago. But when Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, it looked like he was being defeated. His heel was being bruised, but the head of the serpent was being crushed. And God was, I mean, think about this. God was fulfilling a promise he gave to a woman thousands and thousands of years before. Amazing. He gave her a promise and she believed and God brought it to pass. He is faithful to his word. Think about Joseph. You know, Joseph gets a revelation that he's going to be, uh, his, his father and brothers will bow down to him and he's going to be exalted and all this. Everything in his life went contrary to that. I mean, do you understand that? I mean, Joseph, um, how do you say it? I mean, he just got mistreated repeatedly. Everything went bad for him. And if anybody in, in Scripture had an excuse to get a bad attitude, it would have been Joseph, right? Right? You would think that after the betrayal and being thrown in the dungeon, and then he finally gets out of the dungeon, then, then he gets in the prison, then he, then he gets, he gets acu- falsely accused of messing around with Pharaoh's wife. And all the, you'd think that after all the betrayal and all the lies and all this, that Joseph would have kind of a right to have a bad attitude. But that's not what we see in Scripture. It's astounding. And through all of the trials and all of the difficulties and all of the betrayal and the slander and the deceit and all of these things that were happening to Joseph, God was bringing to pass his word. In other words, what he saw, what he was experiencing appeared to be contrary to what God had promised, but it was the fulfillment of what God had promised. I mean, that's the astounding thing about God. Guess what? He really does govern. And you think things are out of control. and You think God is, is on a vacation when bad things are happening. But in reality, often those, those very things you're going through are the things that God has designed to educate your faith. Educate your faith. See, we, we have to remember of something about faith. And I'm going to say it a lot over the next few weeks. That it's not simply general assent. It is personal application in the moment. We, if you're a Christian and I say, does God love you? You're like, yeah. Okay, let me, let's try. Does God love you? Well, that was easy. Now do it when you lose your job and there's no money in the bank. 
You hearing me? See, general assent is true and it's good and we need it. But but it's 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 like a broad, broad, broad river. And because it's so broad, it has no force. But as you confine it more narrowly and more narrowly and more narrowly, man, the power of that thing becomes overwhelming. And so our general assent to things in the Word must become, must become narrowed and focused on a particular situation in our life. It's kind of like, you know, a, a magnifying glass, right? The sun shines and you sit out in the sun and think, man, it's awesome out. It's going to be awesome out today, right? Going to go out and get a little, catch some rays, right? Maybe you're going to barbecue later. Mm, going to be great. You sit out in the sun, you take a magnifying glass, hold that magnifying glass uh, to a piece of paper, right above a piece of paper, and in just a few minutes you have a fire. Why? Because the power of the sun is being uh, pointed, conv- Steve would know the technical details. It is, it is becoming concentrated at one point. Right? Concentrated at one point. So Joseph's going through all these trials, but he was able to realize in the moment, in the concentrated point, that God's promise was true. So when he's in the, in the pit, God's promise was true. When he was in prison, God's promise was true. When he was being betrayed, God's promise was true. When he was being slandered, God's promise was true. Why? Because God is true. Yeah. Saying, but if God's true, then this is happening to me. God is true. And the question is, do we believe the things that we profess, like God loves me? Didn't we sing about that today? How great his love was? Do we believe this in the moment? Because if we don't believe it in the moment, then we don't believe it. In the moment. It's got to be in the moment. We could read your Bible. Okay, just read your Bible. I mean, just read it a lot. And what you see over and over and over, God gives a promise and God brings the past. If his people believe. And we, we began this, this convoluted series we're on by talking about Israel in the wilderness and that the first generation didn't get in. Why? Because of unbelief. Not because God isn't faithful to his people. God actually is so faithful to his people that in spite of the disobedience of the parents, he brought the children in. But the word says they did not enter in because of unbelief. In other words, the promise to enter in was conditional. They didn't believe, they didn't go in. When God's people believe, God brings his word to pass when, when those promises are conditional. Why? Because God is faithful. <clears throat> Whether we're talking about the fulfillment of a promise or the fulfillment of a warning, and those come to pass also, by the way, the, 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 lesson, the fundamental lesson is the same. What, what God speaks is true, and it will come to pass. And the word of God cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. Look at Matthew 5 for a moment. Matthew 5, Jesus is uh, clarifying for some of those who are listening to him his mission. Because some thought that he came to abolish and destroy the law. 
And Jesus says this in 17, 517, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but what? To fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. God's word abides settled forever in heaven, and it cannot be broken. So when God says something, it is true, whether it is a promise or whether it is a warning. If God says that um, he that sows bountifully will reap bountifully, then that is true. doesn't mean we have to sow bountifully, but it's still true. If God says um, he gives grace to the humble, then that's true. So what do we need to do? Humble ourselves, amen? If we want grace. When the Lord says the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, then it's true. When God says the generous soul will be made rich, then it's true. When he says he who speaks lies will not escape, then it's true. Whatever God says, whether it is a promise or whether it is a warning, it is true and it will come to pass. We can be certain that God's word will be fulfilled because God is faithful and true. His word is a reflection of his character. And I will be saying this over and over and over for us to understand and really believe. Not one jot or one little mark of God's law will pass away until all will be fulfilled. And as David said, we've read it already, but we need to to truly uh, understand and embrace this scripture. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. So David wrote that many, many, many generations ago. And he's saying that God's faithfulness endures to all generations. That means God faithful, his faithfulness endures to this generation. Right now. The same God that David worshipped is the same God that we worship. Amen? But the amazing thing is that we have even more revelation than David did. Even more. So many things he saw in the shadows and in the types that we have seen the fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's amazing. So, God is able, God is true, which is veracity, and God is faithful. So, there's only one logical response to all this, and that is what? Faith. That's the only logical response. True faith, then, is, as, as we've said, is more than mere assent. It involves the will. It receives the promises and it relies on the word. True faith means placing ourselves in a position of total dependence on God. Can I say that again? True faith means placing ourselves in a position of total dependence on God. Now, the funny thing about this is is funny like odd, you know. Not funny. You're not laughing. It's not funny. The funny thing is the reality, the reality of the situation is this. We are totally dependent on God. That is the situation. That is the truth. Now, the problem is we don't really believe that usually. 
we think that we're in control of things. And if there's one thing I've learned in my many years of ministry is that I am in control of nothing. Nothing. We can think we're in charge, but we're not in charge. Right? God is in charge. And this thing about dependence on God is interesting because if we saw things as they really are, I mean, it's, you know what's going to be one of the cool things about heaven is going to be? Is we're going to see things where they really are. And it's going to be like, it's going to be like the Wizard of Oz, the original one, you know? It's like the first part's in black and white. And then all of a sudden, she steps out of, you know, after the tornado, and the, she's in Oz. She steps out of, out of the, the house, and all of a sudden, everything's in color. Now that's going to be heaven. It's going to be all of a sudden, it's like, wow, that's the way it is. The way it is, is that we're completely dependent on the Lord at all times. I mean, it's easy to think that, you know, because we got money in the bank and we got this and we got that, that, you know, we're we're all, everything's fine. What's the scripture say? Wealth has wings. Just flies away. You can be in the poorhouse tomorrow. That quick. Your health can go in a moment. We are utterly dependent on God. Faith means seeing and acknowledging that. Look, go back to Hebrews 11 where we started. It's one of the things I love about this pet. Well, I'll wait till you get there. Hebrews 11. In verse 1, notice what, uh, what the word says here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, not seen. This is important. When you go through this passage, it's amazing how many times in this chapter it talks about the fact that, that the people didn't see, but they believed. It says in verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Right? He didn't see them, but because he believed, they had substance. They were real to him because of his faith. Right? Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. But notice, he went out not knowing where he was going. He hadn't seen yet where God was calling him. And as we, as we saw last week in Hebrews 4, it says that God calls those things which are not and says that they are. The things which are not are unseen, Right? And they're not seen with the physical eye until God says, be. Then they are. They exist. But they, ex- but, but God sees them before they, quote, exist in, in our experience. So faith sees that which the eye cannot see. What we need to see is that we are completely dependent on God at all times. All times. And so what God does in his severe mercy and great love for us, he puts us in situations where we have to experience the reality of our dependence. 
It's not as if we're dependent one day and not the others. We're always dependent on God. It's just that God will place us in situations where our dependence becomes clear. It becomes obvious, right? And often God will put us in difficult situations. Sometimes God will put you in an impossible situation. Because it is in that situation that you can see that with God all things are possible. Not humanly possible, not possible to the the human eye, but possible to the to, for God and possible to the eyes of faith. Listen, friends, if you and I believe that God was working and forming deity in the womb of Mary, don't you think that God can form Jesus in us? If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin, can't we believe that that He can conquer sin in our lives? If we believe that Jesus fed the 5,000, can we not believe that Jesus can feed and provide for us? Right? If we believe that Jesus healed multitudes, do we not believe that Jesus can heal us? If Jesus, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. As I shared the other night in Life Group, much of the Christian life is our heart catching up with our head. That is to say that many things that we know theoretically, we don't know in our experience. And that's what what God does is He educates our faith by how he, He works in our lives. And sometimes that's through putting us in situations where, guess what? We have to cry out to God. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing if we cry out to God. Right? It's a bad thing when we rely on ourselves. And Abraham's a great example of that, of, of, the, of that problem because before God fulfilled his word supernaturally, Abraham tried to bring God's word to pass through the flesh. Right? That's where Hagar comes in, right? It's like, okay, God, it's been about 17 years now. Um, I think I'll help you out. So then he has, has a concubine and has a child through her. That wasn't the fulfillment of God's promise. Right? Let me tell you a secret. You ready? Thank you. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your wisdom. He doesn't need your knowledge. He doesn't need your energy. He doesn't need your um, skill. He doesn't need your good looks. That's what I have to tell myself every day. God doesn't need my help. Um, But I can tell you this, we need God. We need his wisdom. We need his power. We need his strength. We need his holiness. We need, we need Jesus. And he's available for us. As Rob shared earlier, when you think about the resurrection and all that Jesus purchased through his death and resurrection, that is available for God's people. But we must receive it by faith, by faith, not by assent, by faith, truly believing the word of God. We have to understand, and I'm going to close with this, unbelief is not only a sin, it is the great sin. It is the total sin, it is the damning sin. Because there are only one reason, there's only one reason why people end up in hell and not in heaven. And the only reason is 
unbelief. That's the sin. And the reason it's such a grave sin is because when we do not believe, we are calling God a liar. And so it is a direct assault on God's veracity, His integrity, His power, His faithfulness, and as we'll see next week, even His love. It is the denial that God is the God He reveals Himself to be in the Bible. It is a it is an assertion of the heart, not of the mouth, and maybe not even of the mind, but it's an assertion of the heart that God is false. Hence, he is unholy. Now think about that. Think about the implications of unbelief. Right? So unbelief calls evil good and good evil. It flips everything around on its head. I believe that God's will for his people is that they be richly blessed. Richly blessed. Any amens? Richly blessed. I believe it is God's will for his people to be walking in victory in their lives. To have to be filled with his spirit. To have joy. To have a, an overcoming faith. This is God's will for his people. Now I'm not saying at particular times you're not brought into difficulties and straits. Listen, the education of faith can be a difficult process at times. It's, it's the concentration, right? It's the magnification in a point in time where your faith is refined. Your faith is, is uh, developed, if you will. So if you're going through hard times, that, that doesn't mean you don't have faith. The question is, do, what are you doing in those hard times? What did Joseph do in the dungeon? What did Joseph do in the prison, Right? I believe he was believing. We see no hint of unbelief in that story. So it is God's will to to bless his people. And when we read the word, we see the many promises and blessings that God has for his people. But we we experience the reality of, of those promises by faith. It is by faith, which is why faith is so, so very important in our Christian life. The faith that meets the moment. That's the faith that we need to walk in. Amen? Let's stand. Father, I thank you that your word is true. It always has been. It always will be. But Lord, your word is true now. It's true this morning. It's true in every one of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that are um, immersed in your word. Truly immersed in the word so that we can know your promises for us. We can know the warnings. We can know what you are speaking to us through your word in the moment. And I pray that you continue to grow our faith and educate our faith, not just so that we can experience blessings, Lord, although I know that your heart is to give them, but that you would be honored by our faith. 
that you would be glorified by the faith of your people. Your people who say by their faith, God is true. God is faithful. May our faith bring you honor and glory. 